May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Rick Morley says, when we hear the words of Jesus against the backdrop of a lifetime of clergy saying to us, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood, we are completely desensitized to these words. For us, he says, they have lost their offensiveness. People get offended all the time at church. Just never about the right things, is it? We get offended about silly things like so-and-so didn't speak to me. What's going on with that? Why didn't she speak to me? Why didn't she say hello to me? Or, or did you hear that Smith boy, that Boisel boy, screaming in the nursery? I mean, my word, it was so loud and I've never heard such a thing. Or, you know what? She sat in my pew. She knows I sit there every week and there she is. Sitting. You know, we get offended about things. It's just never about the right things. We get offended about all sorts of silly things. Um, you can uh, do something a little unconventional, a little different, and, and people can be real quickly to get um, you know their shorts in a, in a bunch or whatever you might say. And of course, none of you. I'm talking about other people, people in other places. But the children get it. Children get the offensiveness of Jesus' words. They hear his words and they're grossed out by them. I remember one of my sons saying to me, Dad, you know when we pray that prayer of humble abscess? I said, you mean the prayer of humble access? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, when we pray that, that prayer, I think that's really gross, that eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. That's just nasty. I don't like that prayer at all. And like good parents, we probably would do what you would do if your children said the same thing to you, like, oh, come on, that's all right. Just, just, just try not to think so much. Just say the word, you know, or, or whatever. We kind of gloss over it. The people in Jesus' day were offended by it. Little children are still offended by it. We hear the words and we're just passive. They just don't mean almost anything at all. The people in Jesus' day heard him say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And they were irate. They were upset about it. His words were controversial. And you can tell because the mood of the crowd, if you read John 6 as a whole, you see the mood of the crowd, John shows us, going from, from hilarity and, and excitement and thrill to, to like viciousness and a, a thorough wanting to attack him. Um, it's not as clear, I think, in English as it comes through in John's original Greek. But if I just kind of went through just a little bit, you remember the story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. We covered it a couple weeks ago. He feeds 5,000 people um, with just uh, uh, five loaves and two fish. And I said at that time, it was really not very good bread. It was barley loaves. They were kind of a, a, a really poor peasant meal. They were kind of, you know, uh, unsavory but sustenance filling. You know, so people wouldn't eat these for flavor. They ate them because they had nothing better to eat. And then the, the fish were tiny little fish, like like sardines, you know, or maybe some of you like sardines. I don't know, kipper snacks. You know, they were they little fish. They weren't they weren't like a you know it wasn't like a big sea bass or something like that. This were kind of a, a, a very mundane poor person meal. Jesus feeds these people this meal. He multiplies this, these loaves and these fish, and they're so excited they're ready to make him king. That's what John says. And they were ready to take him by force and make him king. Because he fed them that meal. Jesus doesn't want to be that kind of king. And so you remember the story. He slips through the crowd and he disappears. The next day he shows up. Everybody has hung around. They don't want to leave. We might see another miracle. Might be more, more loaves, more fish. Let's, let's stay around. And then Jesus begins to talk to them. And he says, um, 
uh, he, he begins to talk to them about being the living bread that comes down from heaven. An interesting comment is made. He sa- uh, John says, and then the crowd, the people in the crowd, began to complain. They begin to complain. Jesus begins to talk theology, and everybody's like, no, no, we don't want to talk theology. I mean, we were all about the free meal, but (laughs) we don't really want to talk about, you know, this sort of, this is confusing, this is is verging too close to philosophy, and and it's well after lunchtime, and who can think about philosophy this late in the afternoon? You know, they begin to grumble and complain. In fact, that's the word that John uses. It means to mutter, to whisper among one another, you know. I don't want to, what is he saying? Why is he talking about this? They went from making him king to grumbling and complaining. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give him, for the, or I give rather for the life of the world, is my flesh. The very next verse, the Jews disputed among themselves. Different word this time. Much more aggressive word. This word used to be used literally of hand-to-hand combat, of fisticuff kind of fighting. They were spitting mad. These were angry words, vicious words, attacking aggressive words. They went from ready to make him king, grumbling and complaining, to ready to fight. This last one is sort of like, if you could imagine... um, if any of you know baseball, it's more like Lou Pinella making an argument at second base where he throws second base out in the center field. It's not William F. Buckley, you know, like, well, you know, I think. This is, a, this is an aggressive attack. And he's like, William F. Buckley, who is that? Yeah, three of you knew. Okay, anyway, this is, this is an aggressive sort of attack. They have gone from ready to make Jesus king, grumbling and whispering, now fighting mad. What was he, he said that made them so angry? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. That's what made people so angry they were ready to fight. Little children hear this, this phrase, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and they're grossed out, they want to gag. Ancient Jews heard these same words and they were ready to fight. And 21st century Americans hear the words, and we just yawn. No big deal. So what is Jesus saying? Why was he saying these words, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you? What did he mean? Well, first thing is, John wrote this story down because John was actually there. A real historical person wrote about Jesus, also a real historical person, in front of a crowd of people who were also real historical people. This event actually took place. And so when John writes it, he's talking about an event that took place. Presumably, when the event happened, no one took Jesus so literally that they said, you know what, you're right, I believe you. And they ran up and took a bite out of his arm. I don't think anybody did that. I don't think Jesus walked around with a bandage on his arm the rest of the afternoon because someone ran up and, like, took a chunk out of him. And so in some sense, they got this and they heard it as a figurative way of of hearing him say these words, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. I, I think he's saying in some way to this crowd, unless you embrace my life, unless you're ready to be radicalized and live the way that I live. We, we use that word, um, 
I hear it on the news all the time about like radicalized militants, you know, people who used to be somewhat, um, you know, vaguely connected and then they became so, uh, so entrenched that they became, you know, ready to do sort of crazy things. It's the right word to use, radicalized, but it doesn't always mean a, a, an evil or a nefarious thing. Radical comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. Unless you're at the root of your being transformed, and you could be transformed, uh, I think, into a terrorist or into a saint. The question is, is where are you being radicalized? What, is it be, what are you becoming? What am I becoming? And Jesus is saying, I think, to these people in front of them, unless you're ready to be radicalized as a Christian, which is to not live as the way that, that many people in his world were living, not to be like the Romans and not to be like the separatist Jews, a radical way to live. Unless you're ready to do that, you have no life in you. Imagine what it would look like if, if people who were so dedicated to Jesus really began to live like him. You know, imagine what that would be like. People would say, you know, those folks at Holy Trinity in Hudson, you know, I don't know what they do there. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit ambiguous, a little, <laughs> little esoteric thing going on there. But here's what I know. Those people live like what I think Jesus would be like. That reputation gets around, doesn't it? It's in our collect this morning, the prayer. Did you hear it? Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. Give us grace, give us power, right? To receive thankfully the fruits of his redeeming work and to follow daily in his blessed steps. Give us the grace to live this way that we might be like Christ, so dedicated this is what Jesus is saying, that this person who gives themselves wholly, eats of my flesh, drinks of my blood, that they are just thoroughly um, consumed by my, my manner of life. And we use this metaphor all the time. You know we use it, right? You'll say of some young girl, you know, who's into dancing, that girl, she, she eats, drinks, and sleeps dancing. You don't really mean that she drinks dancing, right? You mean that she, she's so consumed by the, the idea of dance that she gives her whole life to it. How are we to be consumed with Jesus in a figurative sense? We read his words. We meditate on them. We, we imitate his actions. We do what he actually says to do. If your enemy strikes you on the cheek, punch him out. You saw that, right? Is that what yours says in yours? Because that's not what it says in my version of the Sermon on the Mount. Not at all. When your enemy strikes him on the on you on the cheek, what are you to do? You know what you're to do. You're to turn and let him strike the other one also. If, if someone wants to take your, your jacket, you give him your shirt too. If someone demands that you walk a mile with him, you walk a second mile. If someone asks from you, you give to them. This is what he says. And we're saying, that's crazy. No one can live that way. That's right. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane to live that way. But if you want to be a radical follower of Jesus, that's exactly what we are to do. And someone says to me, hmm, that sounds like the work of saints. You know? I'm just kind of a normal Christian. I'm not, I'm not like a saint. I don't, you know, that's not, I don't want to be a saint or anything like that. That's, that's insane. Mother Teresa, holiness is not the luxury of a few, it is the duty of all. Holiness is not the luxury of a few, it's the duty of all. 
it takes work on our part, doesn't it? If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to determine to actually do it. To read his words, to meditate on them. We're not going to find him in the plain dealer. New York Times bestseller list. Parish the Thought Hudson, the Wall Street Journal. We're not going to find them there, are we? We're going to find the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the letters of Peter and Paul. We're going to find them in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Hosea, Joe, Amos, Jonah, Mike. I, I could go on. You know, we, these are where we're going to find the words of Jesus. The words of the Lord. This is where we're going to find them. Keep reading your plain dealer. Your Wall Street, your, but don't make that only. This, is the, this has to be our textbook. But here's another way I think that John means them. Think about this. John was a person who, who witnessed Jesus. He was there when the events took place. But he also wrote this gospel to people who themselves did not witness the life of Jesus. He wrote, the people who first read the gospel of John never saw Jesus alive in the flesh. Or at least most of them did not. John writes this letter, this gospel, to people who are real historical people, just like you and me. How for them does eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking his blood, come to them? In a very literal way. Because these people were gathering every Lord's Day, every Sunday they were gathering for Holy Eucharist. As the church has done since its very beginning. And if you read any of the church fathers when they talk about the, the Eucharist, they do not talk about the, the flesh of Jesus, the, the, uh, the host of communion, the, the blood of Christ, the, the, the wine of the sacrament as being symbolic. None of them do. That language does not appear in church history for 1,500 years. They all talked about the very real flesh of Jesus in the, in the elements of the Eucharist. John wrote to people who were already receiving Holy Communion. And he was saying to them, this is the very real body and blood of Jesus, not symbols of it. And it is in receiving this meal that real power is communicated into the lives, into the very beings of people. If we're going to change our mental and ethical lives, it has to happen up here, right? We have to, we have to think in ways that are new it, New. But if we want the power to actually do it, it's going to come through the grace that comes into us in the holy meal of communion. The very life of Christ. I don't think the communion is a tool to jog our memory. It's not that we come to, to the altar and, and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus really did die. You know, Oh, that reminds me I should do... Now hopefully it does do that. Hopefully we do have a sense of being reminded... But even in the very words, do this for the remembrance of me, doesn't mean to recall mentally. It means to relive, to live it out all over again. Anamnesis in Greek. To relive this, this event, this sacrificial meal. That we gather, receive this meal, and it transforms us. It actually does something in our very beings and transforms our ethical and moral lives. A number of years ago, you perhaps remember this, um, there was a scandal in Major League Baseball. Uh, in the history of Major League Baseball, only two persons over 100 years had ever hit 60 or more home runs. Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs in 1927, and Roger Maris hit 61 in 1961. Other than that, no one had ever reached 60 home runs. 
until 1998. And the years between 1998 and, and 2001, people regularly started hitting 60, 66, 70. Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs in 2001. And these baseball players that used to be pretty slight and slim were suddenly looking like football players. They were massive human beings. Even people like, you know, well, like Barry Bonds, who used to play against the Reds and was a rather slight fellow when he played for the Pirates. By the time he gets to the uh, 2001, he's this huge individual. And we find out later that these players began taking steroids, anabolic steroids, human growth hormones, to make themselves larger, stronger. You could take steroids. You could take human growth hormones. You could hit 70 home runs. Well, not you. You couldn't hit 70 home runs. But, you know, somebody could hit 70 home runs. Richard's looking at me like, I could hit 70 home runs. Yeah. You could take these, you could take these, these, these drugs and they could actually change. You could transform your body and you could become stronger. A different kind of person. My point is this. What goes into our bodies actually does change us. It actually does make us different kind of people. On a medical level, sure, taking medicines or, or whatever actually will change you. And I'm saying that John's argument, Jesus' argument, is that consuming his flesh and blood actually does qualitatively change you into different kind of human beings. Yes, you have to have faith. Yes, you have to come with a heart that's open. Yes, you have to. But it is a truly sanctifying event makes us qualitatively holier. Somebody has, uh, you know, in the, in the 1500s, 1600s, there was this um, big uh, discussion about how this happens. You know, is it magic? And all this sort of uh, confusion about the sacrament. There was never a definitive answer on how the sacrament becomes the body and blood, just the belief that it is. It is the real flesh and blood of Jesus. The Olympics are coming up soon, and... Um, and we'll undoubtedly be all glued to our TV sets and watch these people who perform, you know, miraculously almost. They're, you know, these athletes that swim and wrestle and run track and whatever else they do. We know as we see these people on, on the screen that right now in this very moment, they're, they're training for that moment, that, that event that they're going to be in. The other day I was uh, walking through the kitchen and there was this bag of Oreos sitting on the counter. It was quite of a miracle thing because the little flap on the top of them started opening. And it was closing and it started saying, Joe, come to me. You know you want one. And why stop at one? There are two or three right here. You know, it was, it was saying this. I could see it from across the kitchen. The athletes in the Olympics are not eating many Oreos. And you know how I know? Because they don't look like me. Yeah? They're, they're very careful about what they put into their bodies because they know that it matters what they put into their bodies. Our feasting is not just intellectual, it is physical. It is real. And communion is a transforming ordinance. It is a transforming sacrament. We need this meal. This meal is what changes. It is what, it is, what is at work inside of us. And we starve if we don't have it. We starve as Christians if we miss this. We are malnourished. 
You know what's what's wrong with our world? It's not the it's not the the presence of evil in our world. It's a lack of righteousness. This transforming sacrament. Uh, Amy Schneider is a 19 year old um, young woman from Marburg, Germany, and uh, she was on her way to Vermilion last week. She has family she's never met before, live in Vermilion, and and she's going on her very first trip from Germany to the United States. And so she flew from Marburg, Germany to, uh, to Philadelphia and then was to catch a plane from Philadelphia to Cleveland Hopkins Airport where her family was going to pick her up. And, and she had this great summer planned out, you know, Indians game and, uh, you know, go up to the Lake Erie beaches, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, do the whole Northeast Ohio summer experience. She's so excited about it. First trip to the United States. She lands in Philadelphia and she's at the, um, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol and uh, they're asking her questions about her trip to Cleveland and why she's going to Cleveland and so on. And she says, I'm going to Cleveland for vacation. They ask her a few more questions and then say, we're going to deny your entrance into the U.S. You'll have to board the plane back to Germany. She's incredulous. She says, why would you not let me come to, to Cleveland? Why can I not go to Cleveland? And the Border Patrol's answer was this. Who goes on vacations in Cleveland? It's, it'd, be, it'd be terrible. It's true. Who vacations in Cleveland? That's what he says to her. Puts her on a plane. She's back in Germany now. The body and blood of Christ? You really believe that this is the body and blood of Christ? It's absurd. Of course it's absurd. But it doesn't mean it's not true. And that this body and blood is the very life and hope for the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.